Welcome to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ, hosted by Personal Responsibility Recovery. Join the conversation. Call or text now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's your host, Mark Myers. And welcome to the Recovery Hour. And it's, uh, of course, I'm Mark Myers. Our, our host is Dr. Kirby Stewart, the Recovery Hour with Dr. Kirby Stewart. And uh, got a great guest today. Our clinical director has joined us. Uh, she's usually really busy helping folks, but we, we pulled Susan Turner, our clinical director, away today. And uh, for those of you just joining us, um, you know, we, uh, Personal Responsibility Recovery, we bring this, uh, bring this show to you every Monday from 6 to 7. Our goal is pretty simple. We want to destigmatize addiction. We are a small 12-bed residential treatment center. Uh, the show's not all about us. Of course, we are a great referral for all things addiction. Any questions you have, join us, 512-836-0590. And, uh, you know, our website, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. That's a great place to just uh, go and ask a question. Addiction, uh, I say it every time we come on here, it's the leading cause of death in the 18 to 45-year-old range. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that's not even intentional overdose. It's, it's just accidental fentanyl poisoning. Um, it's, it's, but if you add in everything, if you add in the DWIs, the health issues with alcoholism, the, it's just devastating. 70 million Americans are affected directly and indirectly by addiction each year. And yeah, Dr. I Kirby, just, I think I the number is like number. 22 million is, is like <laughs> yeah. clinically diagnosed. Right now, they qualify for what we do, help. Yeah. But no yeah. one wants to ask for that help. It, it's mind-boggling that— uh, Well, it, it, it is. It, it's, it, and it's part of the disease process, as a matter of fact, that carries with it the denial of its own existence. So, and that I've seen, and I want to ask Susan about this, but I've seen in family members, in fact, just recently, interaction with a family wherein the family itself— wanted to deny the severity of the condition all the while struggling to correct a problem that they kind of like didn't even really want to admit existed. And I think a lot of families are stuck with that. Uh, On the one hand, there is this problem. On the other hand, we don't really want to fully acknowledge it. And it's just like, can you just make it go away, please? The answer is no. <laughs> Absolutely, Kirby. Um, and, and especially I want it to go away without ever admitting it exists. Right, right, right that it happened to our family. Right. Yeah. Uh, coming from a family member of an alcoholic, uh-huh. um, that's very true. Um, and, you know, I've been in the field 34 years, so not just my family, but many, many families throughout my career I've seen that didn't want to admit that it was my family member that had the problem. Yeah, um, it's almost like it's a contagion. And, yes. Or, or a mark of, I don't know. Shame. A shame, yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, shame, it, exactly. there's a lot of shame attached to it. And, you know, growing up, my father was a hospital administrator. Uh, um, yeah. in a county uh, hospital. So everybody knew him, knew my family and my mother. I remember saying, you can't talk to anyone about the issues that go on in this home and yeah. his alcoholism. And it was really bad at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it cost him his life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reason I'm, you know, so much an advocate of family therapy and families 
being a part of the treatment for the addict. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're missing a whole lot if we don't have all the family. And that means grown children, too, because they're the ones, you know, uh, taking care of the, the mom who's not the alcoholic, um, helping her go get father or go get, you know, their brother um, either out of an ER or out of a bar. Um, and they're dealing with that, th- those traumas. Yeah. And a lot of it is trauma because, you know, they're going in places that they shouldn't be going in. And it, I think it sometimes feels like a failure to the family members that, that you know, we've got this one member of our family. You know, I, I was the black sheep. You know, there's a black sheep in every family, a couple of them in mine. But it's like the other people wanted to almost not acknowledge that we had the problem because that meant they may have been part of that problem. And, and does any of that really matter? No, it no. doesn't. It doesn't. No. What matters is treatment. And getting help. Getting help. It does. Um, And because, and I tell clients this all day, every day, if you don't get help, you're going to die sooner than later. Bottom line. And that's mm -hmm. alcohol. You know, people say, oh, he just drinks too much. Uh, That's a big one. It does. Um, That's a big one. And Well, with this approaching holiday season, the the drinking too much can spill over into a ruined Thanksgiving or a ruined Christmas. It does every year, and and treatment centers get real busy after Christmas. Yeah, right after. (laughs) How cool would it be if someone said, wow, you know what, I don't want Christmas to be this way. I want to see what the resources would look like. I, I want to raise my hand and say, wow, I just, I don't want to do this again. Um, or do it for the first time. But that whole guilt and shame thing is, is that's what this show's about. Um, we've got to destigmatize that. We've, we've got to address the elephant in the room. I promise you, everyone knows. Everyone around <laughs> you knows. They do. They may act like they don't. They may tell you they don't. But addiction, when it really rears its head, it's pretty unmistakable. It's it's and, and the cost of it in oh my God the the personal relationships the the jobs the performance just just not being the person the relationship with your parents with your kids however that works out it's uh the guilt and shame keeps us from getting better and and Doctor Stewart as you said the denial keeps you from seeking help and yeah. Yeah, you know the, the family the and the denial of, of the family. Oh, it, you know yeah. how many times have I heard he just drinks too much? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it won't be as bad this year. Uh, he, he might not be under the table this year, literally uh, yeah. under the table. Yeah, um, are are falling down. I think the real pain of the situation rests in the person who's suffering from addiction fails to prioritize their relationships with loved ones because the addiction takes over. It does. And that's, to me, that's the real heartbreak because as an addict, you can deeply love and appreciate your family members, but if you... If you're still uh, listening to the addiction, you're, you're going to behave in such a way that they recognize that they're secondary in your life, that the number one thing is 
is feeding the addiction. And, and that, that's really heartbreaking because I know a lot of really, really good-hearted people who would love to, to be free from their addiction so that they could be in relationship with their loved ones in a healthy way. And yet they struggle to because they keep thinking that they need to fix it themselves, inside of themselves, by themselves. I concur. The, coming from a, from a child of an alcoholic, the only thing you grow up with is he loves alcohol more than he does us. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's heartbreak. That's what you're left with, and that's right. the heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we're we're up against our first break all as as always it just kind of sneaks up on us here. Join us when we come back. 512-836-0590. Uh, Susan Turner, Dr. Kirby Stewart, and myself, Mark Myers. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Monday at 6 p.m. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers. And we are back again. Uh, if you want to join our conversation, 512-836-0590. Um, if you're just joining us, Personal Responsibility Recovery, uh, small 12-bed residential treatment center. Uh, the show's not all about us, so we can sure answer a lot of questions, uh, sure guide you in a lot of resources, both public and private. Uh, of course, Dr. Kirby, our Dr. Kirby Stewart, our uh, host, and fortunate to have our clinical director with us tonight, Uh Susan Turner, who has uh, just incredible, um, I, I sit here in awe and look across the table at both of these folks and think, wow, I get to work with some really cool people. Um, but, you know, before this, we were, we were talking a lot about families and a lot about the elephant in the room, a lot about the disease of addiction and how we have to do better destigmatizing this, normalizing conversations. And I, I think maybe that's what, you know, we're kind of talked about at the break is how, how do we do that? How do you, how do you look at someone, Dr. Stewart or, or Susan and say, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm not doing it again this year. And be able to be able to say that and have a plan in action, have researched what's out there. Cause that's some scary stuff when you, when you've had enough yourself and you draw the line, but to be the family member who says, I'm done, I'm really done. How do you, what, what are the guides there? What are the, are there any, are there any easy ways to say, hey, you know what? <laughs> we think you've got you, a substance you, use problem I, I, <laughs> and I'm, I'm out. I mean, here we are. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it, it, it is kind of heartbreaking that this conversation might have to wait until Thanksgiving to take place, but that's still a pretty good time to have it take place. And that, you know, the advice that I have uh, as someone who's in recovery and also works with people who are suffering from addiction and their families is to tell the damn truth. Thank you. Start talking about what's real and what is the truth. Stop colluding with the denial of the person who's suffering from the addiction. And you, you can do that lovingly, you know? Yeah, you can. It yeah. doesn't have to be harsh or confrontative. It doesn't can be with be. love and empathy. And the truth. And the truth. Um, and and is, some courage because you absolutely. have to get beyond your fear of hurting their feelings or confronting them or you know having them act out against you because you're telling them the truth. Or to leave them. Yeah. Um, I, I remember 
early in my career, a guy came in in handcuffs. His kids had him committed for alcohol and drug abuse. He owned a lot of car dealerships, and then he was angry. He says, I'm cutting my kids off. I'm done. And in two <laughs> weeks, he said, my kids saved my life. My kids saved my life. Yeah. And in two know, weeks. How yeah, hard is it when it's not a spouse but it's your child. Absolutely. And that's the other, you know, we, we maybe are, I've not had to experience that. I've been in recovery more than a minute. And, uh, you know, my, my almost 31 year old daughter has never seen me under the influence. Probably the greatest gift recovery has ever, have ever given me. Um, and I have a lot of bad habits to teach my grandson. None of them will involve alcohol, which is just <laughs> wonderful. But to have to deal with a child, especially in today's world, where, you know, as, as the saying, one pill kills, um, the stuff that's out there, the, the fentanyl is, is in everything. And when you have a child in that position that's in that using pattern, to have that really not confrontational, as you said, but loving and but very firm, this can't go on. That's when you have to have a plan. and uh, You do, or, or you will be at the funeral. And, and I hate to be that dramatic, but it's true. And we've seen that yes, too many times. Um, 122,000 of those last year in 2022, leading cause of death. And, you know, it's not being dramatic. It's, it's being honest. It's, CDC it, just released some data. There have been over a million deaths since 1999 from overdoses. But again, we maintain that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. How many ruined Christmases? How many ruined Thanksgivings? And we're, we're not saying this, for those in the listening audience, we are not saying this to shame or blame people no. suffering from addiction. We're saying this in order to unravel the denial that our whole society is in regarding the damage done. And, and family members need to speak up. And they also need to look at how they might be possibly contributing to the problem. Because oftentimes the person suffering from the addiction is just the, quote, identified patient, unquote, in the family. They're the, they're the ugly duckling or the, what, what were you saying? The black sheep. The black sheep, yeah. I don't know yeah. where that term came from, but yes, I mean, it, it's, it's the one that, that gets the blame. It's the one that causes, and you know, it. The scapegoat. Yeah. The scapegoat, thank you. Yeah, the scapegoat is, is the other word for that. And you know, gosh, having a plan to address yeah, what, what that before it's a crisis. A what are well, we before about? it's a crisis. I mean, it, it's easy to. When you've got a loved one in the ER or in detox or in handcuffs, um, now you got a crisis. You got to do something right now, yeah. right now. Yeah. Go to Google, the guy with the biggest ad budgets, the ad that you see, and you don't know anything about the programs. You don't know anything about counseling. You don't know anything about the resources that are actually out there, uh, whether they're public, private, inpatient, IOP, residential. There's all these terms. And what we encourage you to do as a treatment center is explore options, explore resources, explore what is the best fit, insurance, private pay. Some treatment centers don't take insurance. The ones that do have different models of treatment that mm -hmm. is oftentimes controlled by the insurance company, which is sad. 
but it's still something. It's something. And, you know, Patrick Kinsley comes on here. He's, he's one, of our, one of our featured guests often, and he just says, do something, period. Do something. Mm-hmm. Because 30 days is going to go by, and the exact same thing is going to be happening if you don't do something today. That's, that, the nature, that's true. That's the nature of the disorder. It never gets better on its own. No. It's a progressive disorder of the brain, and it never gets better on its own. Is and and I'm I'm out of it. You you guys are the the DSM uh, Diagnostic Statistic Manual, if I'm not mistaken. I don't mm-hmm. know what version they're on now. Five, yeah. And uh, you know, a couple of years uh, or a couple of versions back, addiction was added to that as a mental illness uh, or as a disorder, I guess, brain disorder. Yeah. Yeah. It is a clinical disease. It's a disability. It is, uh, it's something, and, and yet it has all of, the, all of the shame, all of the guilt, all of the denial, all of those things with it. And I say on this show fairly often, uh, you know, if, if I notice a spot on the back of my hand that I think may be cancerous, the next day, I'm kicking the door in of the best oncologist I can find and screaming, help me. Don't let this get worse. Don't let this <laughs> spread. I need, What can you do right now for me? Yeah. Yet I can kill a handle of vodka and take five Vicodin and yeah, miss a if, week of work, and, if, and I don't do anything. If, that, if you believed that that lesion on your hand was helping you get through the night. Exactly. Helping you, you know— Someone suffering from addiction oftentimes thinks that the substance to which they are addicted will help them interact more successfully with people in their environment. And that belief takes forever to smash. They uh, oftentimes, I mean, we oftentimes say, well, you know, let's have a conversation, but after our first cocktail, okay, let's not try to get too serious until we've had at least a couple of glasses of wine. Uh, we oftentimes fall prey to the mistaken belief that the addiction itself promotes sociability or promotes an ability to be present or available to people when in fact it's, creation of, it's creating an illusion of exactly that. So you're saying I'm not that good at answer. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there was a time. <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll talk about, you know, myself. I, you know, I, I went from being a real terrible dancer to being a real great dancer after a drink. Yeah. <laughs> like a from, veteran. In my world. <laughs> in your world. Exactly. A veteran told me, he said, you know, Susan, I play the guitar, and I always thought I played better when I was drinking. He said, and, and the audience said, no, you don't. Well, I think the reality is that we really don't do anything better when we're under the influence. And the things that we really don't do better under the influence is communicate with our loved ones, communicate with our children, communicate with our spouses. The family unit suffers. It just does. And, you know, the, the absolute greatest gift out there, for lack of a better word, is recovery. I mean, uh, imagine a, a life where that's not that's not a that's not a consideration. It's not planned around this party and this drinking and ooh, I can't do this because it begins to be a very restrictive life. We it does we it does. plan we our get life to that around place, that. 
we we at that place that you've often brought up, Mark, which is well, what do you do though when you realize that you can no longer continue with the addiction or the addictive behavior, but on the other hand, how are you going to live without it? What's that going to look like? We can no longer function with or without the use of drugs. And that's, that's the jumping off point. Yeah, that's the jumping off point. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to get there. Um, it can be headed off with enough conversation, with, with enough examples and you know, the, the jumping off part for us also is in about 30 seconds, the news is going to come on. So we're going to, we're going to jump off of this segment. And, uh, again, if you want to join us, 512-836-0590, uh, again, personal responsibility recovery. We just want to destigmatize this beast. We, uh, join us when we come back. We're still got another half hour of conversation. Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Monday at 6 p.m. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers. And welcome back to the Recovery Hour. Uh, and it's Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery and, of course, Dr. Kirby Stewart, uh, our spiritual director. And, and we have our clinical director with us tonight, uh, Susan Turner. And uh, Dr. William Loving is our medical director. He uh, wasn't able to join us tonight. We were going to call it the director's meeting, but uh, we we do have uh, we do have two of our directors here tonight. And you know, again, if you're just joining us, the purpose of this show, personal responsibility recovery. We're we're small. We're a 12 bed private uh, residential treatment center for substance use, and we do this show. It it's not about us. It's not all about us. We are a great resource, though. Please, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. Send us, send us any emails. Ask for help. You know, start, start with us. We're able to identify both public and private resources for you. We've got a, a unbelievable teams of counselors and therapists, and uh, there's, there's so many great treatment programs in our area. And we're plugged into a lot of them and, and do a lot of referral on that. And, you know, we, we're, a, we're a call-in show. Again, 512-836-0590. I also realize that very few people want to call in um, and say, hey, I've got this huge problem with alcohol or uh, identify a family member and that type of thing. So, you know, a call-in show may not be the best uh, may not be the best method for us to deliver this message, but the reality is that we do want to talk about it. We do want to destigmatize it. We want to let people know, and, and Dr. Dr. Stewart, you were – talking earlier about about the target that we're on and Susan you mentioned that too that you know we're we say these things not to scare not to not to highlight but to maybe what point out um you know I mean, I, the, the I, obvious yeah I think we're wanting to encourage people who are considering that there may be a problem with addiction in their family or within themselves or within a, f- a friend, uh, just anyone. Our, our comments are mostly directed towards those who are engaged in the inquiry, so to speak, and wondering what to do next. And, and we're saying basically have a plan Talk to people. Talk to people in recovery. Reach out to us. Uh, find out 
what kind of situation you're actually in and how to take effective action. What we're not saying is that it's okay to wait for the catastrophe to arise and then go ahead and take action. Because by then it's going to be late in the game, might not be too late, but it's going to be late in the game and and you don't need to wait for the catastrophe in order to take effective action. It's like any other chronic disease, as you've pointed out, Mark. If you have skin cancer, you're going to get it taken care of. And, it, it, you know, by the way, it's as a, as a brain disorder, it's a much more like uh, a chronic disease like heart disease where actually we're talking about risk factors for the development of the disease more than we are talking about causes. We're talking about risk factors. And if there are lots of risk factors... Uh, then there is very, very strong likelihood of the existence of the disorder. And the reason that's relevant is because if the disorder exists as such, you know for sure it's not going to get better. That's the point. Yeah, and I think, Susan, you you were bringing that up. Those risk factors are often so evident in the family. They are. And, and then that becomes more of the guilt, more of the shame. Yeah. Let's, uh, Curry, let's talk about some of those risk factors. Let's do. Yeah. Um, you know, if an addict is, you, know, you may not think they're an addict, but there's a problem. Problem uh-huh. with drinking, problem with marijuana, but it's not that bad. So what are some of those risk factors? You know, when you say you, it's not that bad, that right. means the catastrophe hasn't happened Correct. yet. Correct. <laughs> Correct. The crisis, the chaos right. hasn't happened right. yet. Right. Um, loss of job, um, are not showing up to job on time, missing a lot of work, yeah. having a wife call in for, for the yeah. addict, whether it's a son, a daughter, or their spouse, you know, oh, you, you call for me. Yeah. Um, Now, for the listening audience, I would say those are not risk factors. Those are negative consequences. Well, true. (laughs) (laughs) And and you have often said that the greatest or the the most harm that is done is when we as family members stand in between the addict. And those consequences. And those consequences. It's a way of participating actually in the denial because the, the enabler or the codependent individual needs to have the addict kind of like not really suffer the full brunt of those consequences because it sheds negative light on them as a caregiver or as someone who cares about them. Or the family. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult. But let's talk about risk factors now. Well, you know, the number one, uh, most folks know about this, but the number one risk factor is genetic. Uh, you know, if, if there's lots of addiction in the family, then that definitely increases one's risk for the disorder. The number two is probably psychosocial trauma or dysfunctional family dynamics that results in a traumatic experience of childhood by a given individual. Uh, the, the, the number three probably turns out to be poverty or an absence of a safe haven called home or an absence of any kind of circumstance or living circumstance that reinforces the value of that individual. Say, for example, if you're homeless, it's very, very hard to feel like you have value in a given community when you're homeless. 
And those are the big, big Those are the threes. big ones, yeah. Uh, and, and lots of them, lots of them like Susan, you mentioned already that you grew up in a circumstance where there were two of those three risk factors that overlapped and, and played a huge role, yeah. And I think also that, you know, when we, when we get into those, it's sometimes not just as easy as saying, I'm not going to use anymore that you, that you detox and, uh, or medically stable for, for those that unaware detox is, uh, kind of the, the slang it's, it's medical stabilization, certain drugs, uh, very dangerous to just quit instantly. Um, especially alcohol, one of the the biggest. Mm -hmm. So the medical stabilization and a lot of folks go into detox and then that's the end of their plan. And then some go into a treatment program that doesn't address everything. It addresses only the drug use. That's it. Just the drug use. Well, I mean, that's, that's probably not the whole picture on some of those that you're talking about, especially the, the trauma and the things that can be, uh, I mean, the family trauma that can go on back generations. Yeah. So, you know, we do a, just for us, I mean, we do a very concise three, three-pronged approach. Our medical director is amazing. He's a, he's a psychiatrist. He's board-certified fellow of addiction medicine. And there's often, uh, Susan, you, you come across this one, Dr. Kirby both, Dr. Stewart both, the underlying issues, the bipolar the mental illness that is being self-treated by an addict uh, trying to self-administer drugs. Uh, yeah. Uh, Depression. And I, let me just yeah. say that although I didn't list a co-occurring mental illness as a risk illness. factor. That's a huge one. It, it is a predictor of relapse. And yes. So definitely contributes to the overall disease arc. Uh, co-occurring mental illness and and also co-occurring uh, disorders such as infectious liver disease like Hep C uh, and so on also contribute to relapse. But what you know what you are implying, Mark, is that beyond simply detoxing, we need uh, to undergo a process that. We'd like to call treatment, but few treatment facilities actually make available uh, the full spectrum. The full spectrum, and that's that's primarily because the business model is one that requires them to scale up for uh, lots and lots of beds and and minimal staffing to uh, uh, address the problems that the people uh, they've admitted. So uh, the point is that uh, an approach like ours, I mean, you got me to come out of retirement to got work Susan with Susan to come out of retirement, too. Exactly. <laughs> got and Dr. Reason, Loving to come out of retirement. <laughs> exactly. And maybe in the next segment we can talk a little bit more about that because I really think we need to draw a distinction between just treatment as usual versus treatment that makes a difference. Real treatment for addiction. And, and we are up against our last break. We're going to come back uh, here in just a minute. And again, questions, comments, anybody want to join our conversation, 512-836-0590. Um, but more importantly, to get the questions answered, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. 
that's our website. It's got a lot of information out there and uh, kind of picks up on picks up on a lot of the resources that are out there. But we'll be back right after a break and uh, visit a little bit more with Susan Turner and uh, Dr. Kirby Stewart. We'll be right back. Providing professional opinions, resources, and guidance for addiction treatment every Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. The Recovery Hour with Mark Myers. And we're back with The Recovery Hour. We're kind of into our last segment. We always say we need a two-hour show here because we we can never say everything we want to say. But, you know, if you're just joining us, uh, 512-836-0590. If you want to call and ask any questions or uh, participate, um, personal responsibility recovery. Our biggest goal here is to destigmatize addiction, normalize conversations about it. And, uh, of course, Dr. Kirby Stewart, our... uh, Spiritual director and our clinical director, uh, Susan Turner, is with us tonight. And, you know, during the break, we were talking about uh, a little bit about treatment centers and, and different things and what, you know, when you do that research, there's there's really three prongs to treatment. And I don't think insurance covers all three of those prongs. I think they cover a couple of them, maybe. I don't think some treatment centers cover all three. Maybe they do one. Maybe they do two. But, you know, I, we, we have a medical director, Dr. William Loving, who's been doing this about 40 years. He's uh, done tremendous things in the Austin community for recovery uh, from his days back with Shoal Creek, uh, Communities for Recovery, Texas Star. Uh, as Kirby pointed out, came out of retirement. Everybody kind of did. Um, and I'm trying to retire. But, you know, the reality is if you don't have a psychiatrist and not, a, not, a, not someone that visits with you on Zoom and that type of thing— Someone who sits down with you, who does a full psychiatric evaluation, and let's talk about are there any underlying or co-occurring disorders? Because when you walk out of our gate in 28 days or 45 days or 60 days or whatever that number is, and we haven't addressed that, and God forbid you're an opioid addict that needs a medically-assisted program such as Suboxone or something that can be dealt with that stabilizes the very horrific dangers of opioid addiction. Um, so that's that's Dr. Loving, and, and he does that just absolutely amazing. And he sits down with you each week and, and talks about that. And then, you know, it's not a every eight or ten days thing. Susan, you, you meet with guys three, four times a week. You meet with families on weekends. It's y'all, – y'all use terms that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an old addict, and uh, – CBT, that was a new one. Tell, tell me what that is again. Cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> That's it. Cognitive. Ch- changing how you, how, changing your thoughts to change how you feel. Um, As opposed to doing drugs to change how you feel? Correct. <laughs> Boy, uh, that sounds absolutely. a lot harder. Yeah. Well, it can be, but it, it also can be. can be a lifestyle change. It has a lot better results. Um, I do know practice. that. I joke about it. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's something that I use. Um, I had a professor in graduate school say, I don't care if you ever use this on a client, if you use it on yourself. He was he was a magician when it came to therapy. So he knew if it works on me, I'm going to tell it to Kirby that it works. Kirby, you need to use this yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I learned early on in my career with substance abuse treatment is if you don't address, if you just take the, the alcohol and drugs away, that's a, that's a great, that's, don't get me wrong, that's great. If you don't address the depression, if you don't address the trauma, if you don't address the things that are really the core to that addiction, you've missed the boat. 
And I saw a guy, he was, I, I was seeing his wife. They took his alcohol and drugs away. And back then, in, in the dark ages, when I first got into <laughs> uh, therapy um, and into the field, you know, they would say, no drugs, no antidepressant, no, yeah. no Ooh. drugs. Put the plug just, in the jug. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's it. And that's what they did to that man. And she said, he just looks out the window, Susan. He's not happy and the sad thing is two weeks later he committed suicide yeah he did not treat the depression yeah the the cognitive um issues that were going on with him he was clean and And medical issues and medical yeah absolutely and and both of those i think just have to go hand in hand um because and they do but but susan i've seen you working with people too you you address dysfunctional relational styles and, you know, Absolutely. habits of mind that don't contribute to well-being. So, it, you know, you go way beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I see the value of that. And when you add to that with the, you know, the medical support and the, the, uh, the changes that we're able to bring about to what's called stinking thinking, uh, and even even if the person suffering from addiction is able to recognize the difference between their mind while in pursuit of the addictive favor, whatever that might be, and not being in the addiction, just you know, just being able to see the difference between those two modes of thought that that they have available to them is really, really key. And I think it brings back, as you've said several times, Dr. Stewart, and Susan, I think your your cognitive behavioral therapy does this too. It, it starts to maybe educate that there is choices available. And when the constant substance use is out of that picture, then that choice becomes maybe we've made quite a few bad ones. Maybe there's some other choices we can make. And, and we've regained that power of choice and we start start realizing that that you know you do have some you do have some responsibility in this. I always say you're not responsible for your addiction. You're not. But you are responsible for your recovery. Yeah. You you've got yeah, once once you've been exposed and once you start going into it. So and and you know we we always say that we treat mind, body and spirit. And uh I know that you know our our overnight tech, I think Kirby, you alluded to the fact that a lot of uh, treatment centers just kind of, you know, fill beds and and then fill staff that may or well, may not be the greatest. Yeah. Bruce, yeah. he's the greatest there is. Our overnight guy is also an LCDC counselor. He yeah. will work you out in the mornings. It's a physical workout, a physical program. It's, you know, that's that's the energy that we always want to uh, have in. We we want you to be better in mind and body and spirit. And, and Kirby, you're our spiritual director. We want you better in your soul and your heart in your relationship with yeah. people and in your relationship yeah. with yourself and God, that higher power. Well, a lot of, a lot of our spiritual health, I, if I can use that word as applied to spirit is grounded in confidence that arrives as a result of constructive efforts in non-spiritual aspects of life like i don't know you you, i guess you could call exercise spiritual and some people might but i don't i think exercise is exercise 
And at, if you've developed confidence in your ability to complete what you started out to complete in an exercise program, then that, that really readies you for a release into the spiritual work. And, and you know, spirituality, a million different definitions of it, but my current favorite is one that I came up with to keep it succinct and right online. I say that spirituality is your ability to be present for any and all circumstances without losing your equanimity. So if you're composed and at peace in the world, no matter what's going on, then your spirituality is in pretty good shape. And, and we work to achieve that at Personal Responsibility Recovery. Yep, every day they spend a couple of hours uh, working exactly on that, presencing themselves in the face of discomfort and upset. Well, and, and it is a three-pronged approach, and, you know, there's a lot of great treatment centers out there, and there's some that do this and, and some that don't. But, you know, being a small 12-bed center, the medical issue has to be addressed. I, I believe that in my heart. Um, I sometimes laugh and joke and, and everything about, uh, you know, they let me mow the yard and cook lunch. But I actually was, was one of the founders of the treatment center, and it came from being on the board of directors of, of another treatment center and wanting to be able to have the dream program that addresses medical issues, that addresses co-occurring disorders, have a program with the staff that can address the cognitive behavioral issues, having the staff that addresses the LCDC, the licensed chemical dependency counselor specific to addiction, having the spiritual aspect of it from someone like Dr. Stewart that can, can work steps and, you know, counsel on the step work and, and the exposure to the 12-step community. I, I think everybody in this room can agree that that is uh, something we haven't mentioned tonight. But Yeah, that's, that's a truth. That's, I, that's I a truth. That's my truth. I didn't mention that as part of our spiritual program, but it is. I believe a 12-step approach to spirituality is very effective. And the primary value of it is that it's done in a social milieu so that when you leave treatment, you, you have a home to return to, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, a, exactly. a community of support. The, the disease of addiction is a disease of isolation. So anything you do to overcome that isolation will be useful. Well, and again, if, uh, if you have any questions or you know, need resources, uh, Again, our program is, is not just about us. Uh, it's about offering resources, both public and private, uh, personalresponsibilityrecovery.com. Use our website. Reach out to us. Phone number's on the website. Uh, call and talk to Susan. Call and talk to Dr. Kirby. Uh, Stuart, call, call me. Um, we're there, and it's just, you know, it's the old adage, how can we help? That's what we need to do. And we will uh, be back here next Monday, and uh, we're going we're gonna to turn it back over to our amazing producer, Tiger, who uh, will take you through the rest of the evening.